Well, today is that last Sunday before ordinary time. I hate to break it to you, we're heading into ordinary time. Uh, the special times are over, and we're heading into ordinary time next week. But today is that last Sunday uh, recognized in the church calendar, a calendar that begins in, uh, in Advent um, and then moves all the way through the life of Christ and then the pouring out of the Spirit of Pentecost and, uh, and then ends on this Sunday, um, uh, Trinity Sunday, a Sunday in which we, uh, again, take time to think about the very God that we worship. And, of course, uh, every Sunday is Trinity Sunday, as well as every Sunday is Easter Sunday, of course, because we're worshiping the triune God every Sunday. But it is good from time to time to remind ourselves about the God we worship, because if not, we can fall into, it's always a danger that we fall into a sort of deism, that we fall into a certain kind of simplistic monotheism, you know, monotheism, the belief in one God. And, you know, Muslims are monotheists. Jews are monotheists, Christians are monotheists. You'll often hear the three big monotheistic religions of the world. Um, and yet one of these things is not like the other, as they say. I mean, one, you know, uh, Islam and Judaism are both simple monotheist, uh, monotheistic religions, right? God is one being and he is one person. But Christianity is not like those. We do affirm with the Muslims and with the Jews that there is only one God, absolutely. At the foundation of our faith is that, right? You, you shall love the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We affirm these things. At the same time, we do not believe in a simple monotheism. We believe in a complex monotheism. We believe in one God who is three persons. Right? We believe in a three-personed God. And it doesn't mean we believe in an oligarchy that we have three, you know, three gods who just all bear the name. No, it's one God. And we've talked about this in our table talks and at different times, but it's it is it's something that you've got, you know, it makes your brain immediately cramp. It starts giving it little spasms. Uh, but it's worth it. It's worth doing this because, because it's the God that we serve. It's, it's, it's what we, who we believe is the one true God. You know, he is, he is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And it's that triune God that we worship. It's that triune God that made us. It's that triune God who has saved us. And it's the triune God in whose presence we are right now in our worship. So good and right that we take time to reflect upon the dynamism of our God. Our God from all eternity has been communion. Our God from all eternity has been society. Our God from all eternity has had fellowship. This is why the old silly thing when people say, why did God create the world? And they say, well, he was bored. Cannot be true. And most certainly is not true. In fact, it's blasphemous <laughs> to say these things. Because God was not bored. God was not alone. He was not lonely because God has eternally been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the infinite communion between the persons of the Godhead so that God did not create out of a need, but he created out of an abundance, right? God created not to fill, uh, not to be filled, but to fill rather, right? He overflows in his goodness to share what he enjoys, not so that he can enjoy. These are important things for us to remember as we uh, 
uh, come to this Trinity Sunday. Now, our text this particular year for thinking of the, of the Trinity is the last chapter of the Bible, the last chapter of the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 22. And in so doing, we are cinching up, if you will, all of the themes that we have taken up over this church calendar, particularly as we've been thinking about the resurrection of our Lord and what, what that means in new creation. Here we're at the climax of new creation, right? John has just been, if you remember the context we looked at last week, John is at the end of a very, very, very challenging vision. Beasts coming out of the sea, waging war against the church. There's going to be suffering within the church. The church is actually going to be trampled in many ways, and, and it's going to look defeated, frankly. Um, but all of this has, has now climaxed in the victory of the Lamb. He has come riding on a white horse, if you will, with a sword out of his mouth. He has slain his enemies. He has thrown his enemies into the lake of, lake of fire. And the church has triumphed with the Lamb. Then, after all of this tumult, the angel, the elder, comes to uh, John and says, would you like to see the bride? Come here, I want to show you something. And he takes him up onto a high mountain, and John gets this glorious vision of new creation. Of, and now remember, John is on, on the island of Patmos as this is happening. It's a, it's a little island that the Romans used for, for criminals. So it's just a, it's a, it's a deserted island, an island where you're sent in exile. And John is here having nothing, right? He's at the lowest point of his life, perhaps. And yet in this low point, he is, if you will, in the, by the Spirit, taken up on a mountain and given a vision of what will be his. A vision of what is his in Christ, namely new creation. And it's radiant and it's beautiful as we thought about last week, right? No more sea. Not meaning, not meaning that there will be no ocean, but that there will be no more chaos, no more raging of the nations, if you will. You know, and there's no night there, no more. And we see that in our text here today. You know, the darkness is cast out. And, and, and in fact, there's no temple because we don't need a temple because the whole church is the temple. It's, remember, it was, it was a cubic city. It was the Holy of Holies itself. And so all of these beautiful images that John gets to see, a church who is, is no longer beleaguered, and, and, you know, but it is beautiful, radiance, right? Its very foundations are gemstones, its gates are pearls, its streets are gold. I mean, and this is you that's being described. This is the church. It's not an actual city being described. Like, wow, it's going to be a really beautiful place to live. No, that's you being described. You are the city. You are the bride. You are the new Jerusalem. You are the temple. You are the streets of gold. You are the gates of pearl, right? That, that's the point. He's describing the church radiant in her beauty, not her beauty, but the beauty given to her by the Lord. And John gets to see this and it's spectacular. So we wrapped up our study on new creation with that. And that now brings us to the last chapter of the Bible. And John is still in that vision when we get these words in 22. And he showed me a pure river Wa uh, excuse me, a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, I entitled the sermon this morning, you know, a throne, a lamb, and a river. Because here we do have, just within that verse, I believe, uh, this Trinitarian image that is there for John at the end. 
that the representation of the God who led John into this vision and who has led John through this vision and who will lead his church to the end is represented in these three beautiful images. A throne on which God is seated. But then we find out that the Lamb is also on this throne. And then we see also that out of this throne, so notice this throne is the source of all three, that out of this throne is flowing a river, the river of life that is sustaining the tree of life, which will be, you know, will provide fruit in due season, all sorts of fruits, 12 in fact, for the, for the people of God, and the leaves will be for the healing of the nations. That is that the wounds of the nations uh, the curse that's been upon the nations is going to be undone and healed because of this tree that is planted by this water that is flowing from that throne. And we saw this in Ezekiel as well, that same image of the water trickling out of the temple and then becoming in due time a raging river that Ezekiel couldn't even swim across. And this river, as it flows out, will enter into the saltwater sea, he says, and it will turn the saltwater fresh, and it will heal all the fish of the sea, and the fish will abound in the sea. That's the this healing image that's going to be there uh, in, in uh, Ezekiel 47 and here in Revelation 22. So I want us to think about this triune image. Now, once again, we do get an image of the new creation. Notice the things that are there. Again, there's a tree. The tree of life is there. Uh, call back to the Garden of Eden. So again, we've talked about old creation and new creation. We started our whole study on old creation, on new creation, excuse me, by looking at old creation in Genesis 1. Our first text was Genesis 1, 1 and 2. Right? And God creates. And when he first creates, he places man in a garden. And there in the garden are rivers, you'll remember and also a tree, a tree of life. And there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And because they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in, in rebellion against God, they are kicked out of the garden lest they eat of the tree of life. Remember, that was why they were put out. So they were guarded from that tree of life. They could not have it. But here as we now fast forward to the end of the story, as we get this little veil pulled back so we can see the end to which we're moving, there we are, a garden again, a different kind of garden now because we've got a garden filled with a city. It's no longer just Adam and Eve in a garden. Now it's the new Jerusalem that has descended into this garden. And so we have this beautiful culture of people, right? Like a, like a city. And we, but nonetheless, there's the tree again and the tree is yielding its fruit and we are free to eat and we are free to drink of this for we have, as we've already thought about eternal life. Notice also in this new creation, there is no more curse. The curse has been removed, verse three, and because we got the tree with the healing of the nations, all of that is being undone and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him, which brings us also down to verse five, and there shall be no night there. So again, these images of darkness being cast out Right? Well, there'll be no more darkness, no more curse, just as we saw there will be no more sorrow or sighing. Those things will flee away. Death and Hades have been thrown into the lake of fire. I mean, th this, is, this is stuff that 
can get you very excited very quickly to think of no more grief, no more sorrow, no more frustration, no more news of grandmothers passing away and diagnoses of cancer, as we've heard here, no more bad reports and bad news. I mean, just the, the liberation from these things. No more night. No more sorrow. But instead, brightness and light. So there's no curse and no night, but also there's no sun. Remember in Ecclesiastes, you have the sun kind of being, in the book of Ecclesiastes, the sun is like this big cooker that's just cooking the world and with everybody upon the earth. You know, the sun is grinding us all down into nothing, right? We live life under the sun and the sun is, is, is crushing us all. But no longer will we have that. We, we won't have that blinding, burning thing destroying us. No, the Lord himself will be our light. Oh, it'll be a place filled with light, but the light will be this glorious, life-giving, healing light uh, of the Lord himself. For as he says in verse four, we shall see his face and his name will be upon our foreheads. So just wrapping up our images of new creation that we get in this text. But what I want us to focus on most, of course, is verse 1. I want us to think about these three images for God. And notice that they are put in the singular. Again, as, it, as we go through this text, uh, it is his servants, uh, down in verse 3. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. So we have the singularity in these texts and yet plurality in the images because we have the image of God upon the throne and the lamb. And then of course the river, which is this river of life flowing, namely the Holy Spirit. So let's think about these three images very quickly. First, the image of the throne. The way that this book opened in Revelation 4, well, not open, but the way the vision opened in Revelation 4, John was again taken up into the heavens by the Spirit. He was in the Spirit. He's taken up into the heavens, and a door is open for him. And as he enters into the heavens, the first thing he sees is a throne. And the significance of this is there to color the rest of what we're going to see throughout the book of Revelation. And many things in the book of Revelation are very disturbing, very troubling, a lot of suffering, a lot of grief, a lot of sorrow uh, that the church is going to have to go through. This was a letter written to the church of God, preparing them for the world they were going to have to live in. And it was going to be a world of beasts and, and suffering. But at the very beginning of it, it's important that the first thing John sees and the first thing you and I see as we begin our vision, as we begin our journey in the Christian life, is a throne. That there seated above heaven and earth is a throne. God is seated firmly on his throne and nothing, John, that you're about to see throughout the rest of this book undoes that. Our God is a sovereign God. And God is seated on the throne, and the image there of the one on the throne is that of the Father. The Father is seated on his throne, and it will be he who sends his Son. In fact, in the very next chapter, we get the glory of the Lamb. But in chapter 4, it's the glory, and, and we read that as our, as our call to worship this morning, because around this throne are the four living creatures representing all creation, and they're just flying around the throne, and they are singing back and forth to one another. Holy, 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 
Notice the thrice holiness of God. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, heaven and earth are filled with your glory and the elders are falling before him. And as we go through the hard wilderness wanderings of our Christian life, it is very important, of the utmost importance, that we remember that there in heaven is a throne and God, the Father, is seated firmly on it and He does all things well and He is governing all things for His glory and He is governing all things for the good of His church. For we know, says Paul in Romans 8, that all things work together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. But when you're down in the middle of the vision of Revelation, when you're down dealing with beasts, when you're being tempted by harlots, when you're having to deal with being crushed, when you're, when you, like Paul, and, and you feel forsaken, in those moments, you have to remember the throne of God. Because it does not feel like all things are working for the good of his people. You start crying out like the psalmist, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he has not forsaken you. And you have to learn to preach to yourself. You have to learn to remember that your God and your Father is seated firmly upon a throne. And so in this image, in Revelation 22, we have that of the throne of God. But not just the throne of God now. It's the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now here again is a beautiful argument for the divinity of Christ because we have the Lamb sharing the throne of God. You know, what creature can do such things? But the God-man himself. And in Revelation chapter 4, we see the heavenly, you know, heavenly beings, you know, circling around the throne and praising God. But then in chapter 5, all creation praises the Lamb. The same praise that the Father got in Revelation 4, is being given to the Lamb in Revelation 5. And the Father doesn't rise up and say, you shall have no other gods before me, and strike everybody down. No, the Father delights in the glorification of His Son, for His Son is equally God. And the Father desires to see His Son glorified, and He is glorified in Revelation 5. And this image, then, is a very important image for us to think of when we think of our God. I think thinking of God seated upon a throne comes very naturally to us. We think of God as big and strong and mighty, and yes, a throne is a good image to think of Him. A lamb is not. A lamb is not an image we particularly think of when we think of God. But that's the image we get here. Our God the lion of the tribe of Judah. You'll remember in Revelation 5, as John is weeping because there's no one found worthy to open the scroll or to loose its seals, John is weeping and the elder comes to him and says, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he has prevailed. He is able to open the scroll and to loose its seals. And John turns to see the lion of the tribe of Judah. Again, lion, great image for God. We get that, right? The king of the forest, if you will. Um, we understand that, right? Aslan, that makes sense to us. But when he turns to see this lion, he says, and behold, I saw a lamb standing as if slain. And this tells us what kind of lion he is. He's not an ordinary, he's not, he's not a lion by our understanding of lions. Not that he can't be. 
By the end, we see him riding on a white horse, as I said, with a sword sticking out of his mouth, slaying his enemies and crushing the wine press of the wrath of God so that the blood comes up to the bridal's horses for a thousand square miles. Yes, he is a lion. He's a lamb-like lion. And he's a lion-like lamb. And we must hold these two things in balance. The one seated upon the throne is the Father, but also with him, sharing that throne without any diminishment one way or the other is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Our high and mighty God, the God before whom we bow, quivering, the God before whom we fall on our faces like Isaiah when we hear holy, 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 and say, we're damned. I can't even, I can't even look into your presence for you are so holy. That God manifests himself to us as a lamb. He, he walks among us in servants' garb. He actually takes off his robe and puts on, if you will, the, the humble, meager loincloth of the servant and gets on his knees and washes the feet of his disciples. He touches lepers. He, he, he touches unclean people. He has dinner with prostitutes and beggars and tax collectors. He goes to the cross and is numbered with the transgressors, one on his right and one on his left. And he's not ashamed to call them brethren. This is the, this is the God that we serve. This is the God we worship. Yes, he is seated upon the throne, our Father. And he's also the Lamb who is upon the throne. And you ought to remember that it was this lamb who said to you and to us through the church of Laodicea, to him who overcomes, I will give to you to sit on my throne with me, even as the Father has given me to sit on his throne with him. Jesus, in that ascension that we looked at in Matthew 28, as he ascends to the Father, remember he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. The God-man, sharing the authority of the Father, ascends to the right hand of the Father and sits on his throne with him. So we have these two beautiful, harmonious images of God, Father, not just images, persons, revelations of the God we serve our Father, and the Son. And then finally, the Holy Spirit, represented here by this river that flows from the throne. It's interesting that it flows from the throne of the Father and the Son, right? It is God, the Father, and the Son now ascending to the Father that now pours out, and even the language, uh, Peter uses this language in Acts chapter 2, that the Father and the Son have poured out like a river of water, the Holy Spirit upon the church. What you have at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 is, if you will, that mighty rushing water now coming down upon the church, this river of life that has come from the very throne of God that it might bring washing and cleansing and healing to the people of God. 
And that's what you have in Ezekiel 47. Out of this temple now goes the Spirit. And the Spirit is going and growing and growing. Not that the Spirit is growing, but the life-giving power as it spreads throughout the world and brings healing to the Dead Sea. The sea that is thick with salt and in which nothing lives will have fish like the Great Sea. It will become, rather than a dead sea, it will become a sea teeming with life. And this image of the world that out of the throne room of God now pours forth his spirit because the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ has gifted this to his church, a little trickle of water, a trickle of water upon 120 people in the upper room there in Acts chapter two, that now is becoming, brothers and sisters, a river that you can't even think about swimming across. As we see the kingdom growing and building throughout our world, the Holy Spirit like a river of life that sustains us, that we may drink freely from. Did you, did you hear at the very end? And the Spirit and the bride say, come. And he who hears says, Come, let him who thirsts come, and whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. We come and we drink of this deep river, this living river of water that this good shepherd has led us to, that we might drink of it for all eternity. Come and drink. And this water washes us. Paul says to Titus and Titus 3, that the Holy Spirit has saved us by the washing of regeneration. Again, this water imagery. We must be born of water and the Spirit, says John in John chapter 3. So this image of the Holy Spirit gushing forth from the throne of God and of the Lamb is what we celebrated last week at Pentecost. And it's that river of life that we find ourselves in even now. This is a, a tributary, if you will, or a little bit of that water that we enjoy here at Affirmation as the people of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God upon the throne, the Lamb upon the throne, the river of life flowing from the throne by the Father and the Son to His beloved church, that the church might be equipped powered and thrive in life. The text ends, this chapter ends, we, we get all these beautiful words, the time is near, I'm coming quickly, beware, you know, these people will not be, you know, the unjust and the filthy, they're not going to be let in and so forth. And then uh, verse 12, behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments. Now John is speaking again. So we've just heard Jesus. So the Father has said this about himself. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Now Jesus is saying this of himself, that he is the Alpha and the Omega. Now John speaks. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers, sexually immoral, and murderers, idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. Now, Jesus, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And now verse 17, as we read, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. 
Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Now, it's interesting. I, I am with this because what does the Spirit do? This river of life that gushes forth from the throne of God. Well, one thing it does is it calls us into service with him, right? It is going out and it is bringing healing to the nations, right? In Ezekiel, it flows and as it flows, it grows. And as it grows, it brings life to everything it touches. Even the Dead Sea will be teeming with life. But here, notice the church joins in with the river, right? The spirit and the bride, right? The bride is the bride of the lamb that is caught up in the flow of this river. And the spirit and the bride now join together and they say to everyone else, come, join. Jesus, when he ascended to the right hand of the Father, gave his church a commission. All authority now has been given to me. Therefore, go. Right? In that sense, we become part of that river. We become the river. Go. He's sending us out in the Spirit. In fact, in, Act, in Luke's version of that in Acts 1.8, he says, well, don't go, not yet. Wait until the Spirit comes upon you. And then go. And be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the world. Go, he says in Matthew 28, with the Spirit and say, come. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And so, members of affirmation, I charge you Again, to take that up. The, the Spirit has been given to you, yes, for you to drink freely and have life. So drink. Drink freely from the river of life and rejoice in the hope that is yours. But you have now become part of the river in the Spirit. And as such, we join with the Holy Spirit by summoning others to come and to drink freely of that same Spirit. Come. Anyone who's thirsty and drink of this. This is the call and the commission of the triune God to his church. And brothers and sisters, in reading this text, rejoice in the hope that is yours. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We thank you for your sovereign rule. We thank you for your tender mercy. We thank you for your giving of life and cleansing and renewal. Use us now, we pray, as your witnesses. Father, as you have called us into the river and made us born again, may we be those who, along with the Spirit, summon the nations to come that they may have the healing that is offered to them through the tree of life, that they may drink freely from the water that is the river of life. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give you praise today. Amen.